My name is Heath. I'm one of the uh, elders here at the Parks Church. And uh, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you've noticed that a couple of the elders have been up here preaching. And uh, <clears throat> so this is, I think I'm the last one. So you guys are going to get a break. You're going to get back to normal. But uh, so this morning, I'm, I'm talking about sort of a hard topic. And so uh, I'll, be, I'll be covering uh, Psalm 92, which is about the Sabbath day. And uh, I. I just, it's, a, it's probably more than I should have taken on, actually. So it's been whooping me, but uh, I think there's some, there's some wisdom we can, we can get out of this. So I want you to, if you guys are, you know, have your Bibles, open, open up uh, Psalm 92. And, uh, <clears throat> wow. All right, I've got a ton of notes here, and we only have 45 minutes. So just bear with me. We'll get through this together. Okay, so <clears throat> quick story. Uh, so there's a hospital in Dallas, and uh, they have these regulations. And uh, the regulations state that uh, the wheelchair is required for any patient that's, being, uh, that's leaving the hospital. And uh, so one day, a student nurse, she's on duty, and she's going to discharge a patient. She, she walks in the room, and she sees this elderly gentleman. He's already dressed. He's sitting in the bed, and he has this suitcase at his feet. And... Uh, she, uh, she tells him about the wheelchair rule, and he, he insists that he doesn't need any help to leave the hospital. And uh, she tells him, you know, rules are rules. So he agrees to let, let her wheel into the elevator. And uh, while they're going down in the elevator, <laughs> she asks him, so will your wife be joining us? And he says, uh, I don't know. She's still upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. <laughs> so, <laughs> My, my point is that uh, even the technical rule keepers, sometimes they get it wrong, too. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, so the scripture reading today from Psalm 92, uh, in the very first verse, it says it's a song for the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath, of course, refers to this special day of the week uh, that God gave the Hebrews. Right? He said, you work for six days, you get this one day off. Of all the rules in the Bible, I just can't think of one rule that has as much controversy around it than this rule. And um, it seems like when, when I read about it, uh, that it just has baggage with it. That every time I see Jesus interacting with Pharisees, or every time this rule comes up, they're just always sideways with each other. They're, they're never seeing eye to eye. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, <clears throat> I just, when I think about this rule also, I just, I feel like we discount it. Like, we don't really get it, and we kind of think, like, of all the Ten Commandments, if one doesn't really apply to me, it's that one. I could do whatever I want on Sunday or Saturday, whichever day you, you know, they had Saturday for their Sabbath. But um, <clears throat> so I really want to explore this. I want to explore this idea of what a rest day really is. I want us to dig into this psalm and see if we can get some wisdom. And uh, I want to find out, really, what was God up to when he created this rule? Like, what was on his heart when he gave this rule to Moses? Um, I just want us to get some clarity around it to maybe help us, like, if we're being too strict with it or if we're being too lenient with it. Like, we need to find the right place, right? We need to think about it the way that Jesus thinks about it. Like, what, is, what does he want for us on a Sabbath rest day? <clears throat> so, after all, he was the Lord of the Sabbath, 
That's what he called himself, so we need to listen to him. Okay, so before I start, I just want to give you a few um, background context about the Sabbath. You may, not have, you may not have read all about all the Sabbath rules, and so you may not be up to speed on them. So I just want to give you just some short background context so you kind of have an idea of where, where this is headed. Um, the word Sabbath, what does it mean? Uh, the Greek, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew word is Shabbat. It literally means to cease, to stop doing whatever you're doing. And um, when was it established? Like, when did it come about? Well, the first time we see this idea of rest is actually in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2. Um, it says in Genesis chapter 2, 2 and 3, it says, On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Is it because he was beat? Was he tired? No. He rested because he wanted to celebrate the creation of the world. Water, mountains, great white sharks, humans, stars. He's like that guy who finishes mowing his yard, and he just wants to stand back and look at it in awe. Right, look at what I did. It's awesome. Right, so he blesses it. <clears throat> um, where was it first set up as a rule, like as a rule that we had to follow? Um, thousands of years later, uh, in the Exodus story, chapter 16, we can read about it. Um, the Hebrews, they had just left Egypt. They're on their way to Mount Sinai because they're about to get the Ten Commandments. But guess what? They run out of food, and they start complaining to Moses. They're like, send us back to Egypt. We're starving. We don't have any food. Um, so God sends them this gift. He sends them this bread from heaven. It's called manna. And he makes it show up on the ground. It's like this fine mist. And they gather it up, and they bake it, and they make bread out of it. And it tastes like honey, the scripture says. But Moses tells them in verse 23 to pick up twice as much as normal on the sixth day because God's not going to send it on the seventh day. This is the verse. Uh, it says, He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over shall, be, shall lay aside to be kept till morning. But did they listen? No. They go out and they try to gather up on the seventh day, just like they did on the sixth day. And God comes to Moses and he complains. And he says, How long... Will you refuse to obey my commands? How long? I gave you the Sabbath. I gave you a double portion of bread. So why are people going out to collect on the seventh day when I told them to stay in their place? Um, note here, there's this interesting association that I want you to remember for later in the talk, um, that the Sabbath day comes in conjunction with this bread from heaven. These two things are joined together. There's a reason, and we'll get to that. But don't forget... When we're talking about Sabbath, we're also, it's very well tied to this bread from heaven idea. So, <clears throat> what about the full rule? Because they haven't got the Ten Commandments yet. God's given them something pre, it's like a preview. And so, Ten Commandments come in chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. <clears throat> and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So um, 
clearly here, there's a link between the seventh day and this idea of Sabbath. I just want you to take that. When you think about what's the seventh day of the week, what do we call that day? Saturday. So God said that Saturday was their holy day. So why do we Christians kind of just treat Saturday normal, but Sunday is kind of the day we've picked to be a holy day? Interesting question. We'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> how serious is God about this rule? Like, when we look back at the scriptures and we see these Ten Commandments, like some things would get you killed. Like, if you stole somebody's sheep, you just had to pay back four sheep. You had to pay back multiple times. But if you committed adultery, death, right? Certain death. So where does this rule fit? Like, what are the, what are the punishments? How does God sort of enforce this rule? Um, well, there's an interesting one in Numbers 15, 32. A man is on the, he's found, he's in the woods, and he's gathering sticks. He's just picking up sticks off the ground. They arrest him. They bring him before God, and they ask, what should they do with him? Because he violated the rule. God says, put him to death for picking up sticks. God is really serious about this rule. And, uh, but remember, I, I just want you to, the last thing I want to, I don't want to get caught in the weeds here because I want you guys to remember something very important, right? The Ten Commandments and the Sabbath as part of that, it's part of a covenant that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai. Um, the Sabbath was actually the sign of that covenant. Um, just like the rainbow was the sign with Noah after the flood, with, with the covenant that God made with Noah. And uh, with Abraham, when God made a covenant with Abraham, the sign was circumcision. So the covenants that God makes, he has a sign with them. What's, uh, when you think about covenants now for us, or we think about the covenant of marriage, what's the sign? It's the wedding ring. Every covenant should have a sign. Um, if you're not married, do you wear the ring? No. Well, hopefully you don't, because you want to be married one day, right? <laughs> you wear the ring, you're, you're not going to get married if you're not married. So. Um, <clears throat> so, good news, folks. We're no longer under the Mount Sinai covenant that Moses made with God. So guess what? We don't have to abide by the Sabbath because that's the sign. We're, we're not married to that, right? We have a new covenant. Do you remember the story? Do you remember we got a new covenant with Jesus? Do you know what the sign was? It's a trick question. It's not the cross. It's the cup. Communion, right? Do you remember uh, Luke chapter 22? This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Every time we take communion, we're showing off our wedding ring with Christ. That's the sign. So, even though we aren't held to the Sabbath day, right, it's not required for salvation, right, there's so much we can learn about what is God's heart behind this rule. Like, what does he want for us in a rest day? Right? He created this rest in a natural order before it was ever a rule. Like, so what does he want for us? <clears throat> So let's look at the psalm. Now that you've got some context, now that you've got some ideas, um, let's see what David has to say about the Sabbath day and about the rest day, because he was a man after God's own heart, and whatever he says should really help us get a picture. Okay, uh, it's broken up in a couple sections. I just want to take them one at a time. So if you have your Bibles open up, we're in Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. It says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It's good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For the music, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. 
At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Okay, so hold on a minute. I thought that the Sabbath was about resting from work. I thought it was about taking a break. So when I think about resting, I think about maybe laying on the couch, checking out to Netflix, sort of sort of chilling, emptying my mind of all the stuff that's normally going through there. Um, have you ever heard about uh, this idea that men like to compartmentalize? Like we're, I don't know what kind of brain that is, but we like things in little boxes. Right? We got a box for work, we got a box for our family, we got one for trucks, we got a whole box just for fire. Right? <laughs> but our best box, our best box is this completely empty box. And when we have nothing to do, that's our go-to box. Right, ladies? We just check out. We literally have nothing in our mind. That's our favorite box. Right? That's where we go. That's what, and so when we say, when you ask, what are we thinking about? And we say, nothing. We're telling the truth. We are in the empty box. Right? <clears throat> but not David. Not David. Not at this moment. He's not busting out in song because he stumbled into this little box for God. He's clearly not sleeping and he's not checked out. He's bursting forth with song. He's overwhelmed with joy because God is bigger than all his compartments. He is looking around, he's seeing what God is doing and he sees this work and it's more than he can get his arms around. He's overwhelmed. And what can he do when he's overwhelmed? All he can do is just sing, just pour out his praise. He's like, I'm full up. I, I gotta pour it out so you can fill me up again. That's what David is talking about in verses 1 through 4. It's an active resting. He's saying it's good to give thanks. It's good to sing about God's love and His mercy in the morning and His faithfulness at night. Let's put this to music. The best instruments we have. Let's do something with this. It's an overwhelming response. And why? Why is He, why is he responding like this? Because the work of God has led him to this. He sees what God has already done for him, and he is overwhelmed with it. He's saying, I have to sing. I'm so full of joy, it's busting out of me. It's holding my mind from the minute I wake up until my head hits the pillow at night. On the Sabbath day, I am thinking about what good God has done. We just sang about how good he is. Do we ever sit and think about that? How good God really is? Um, David, he's giving the best gift he can give God back. He's trying to bless God back with his life. And just one more thing I'll say about this verse. Um, It's kind of retrospect. Again, David is looking back in time. He's trying to see what God has already done in his life, and that's what's making him happy in verses 1 through 4. God's love. It can't be measured. He's talking about his mercy. Right? We, do we ever even sit and think about what God's mercy really means? Mercy is not the same as grace. We sing about his grace. We sing about his mercy. Right? Grace is getting the things you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the things you do deserve. Do you know what we as sinners who fall short of God's glory, do you know what we deserve? God doesn't give us those things. Love and mercy and joy, those are the things that he continues to deliver over and over and over again in spite of what we deserve. That's his mercy. That's what David's singing about. Because he knows, just like me, we all mess up. We're people. I've got some X's on my name. 
You guys have some X's on your name. You know. <clears throat> we were made in God's image to be perfect, but we fell short. We choose our own way. We mess up. We don't trust that the maker of the stars has good intentions for us. So what do we do? We make our own way. We kind of arrange life for ourselves to get what we want. That's where we go wrong, when we take our eyes off God and we, take our, we put our eyes on ourselves. <clears throat> That's sin. We're covered with it. It's pulsing in our flesh, and it wants to control you. Its desire is to rule over you and to send you back, right? To burden you, to chain you down. And it will if you let it. <clears throat> so what's God's heart for the Sabbath? What can we get out of this? Right? He desires the whole day. It's not a one-hour church service. It's not a check-the-box kind of activity. He doesn't want to be some distant deity that we just kind of throw up requests to. Right? He wants to be a personal God. Someone we can draw close to. Someone we can love and cherish. A God that's tangible that we can actually touch. He wants, to be, he wants us to be filled with those blessings, that joy that's overflowing, so much that we just bust out in praise like David, that we stand here on a Sunday morning and we raise our hands because we're overwhelmed by the words we're singing. We're overwhelmed by the thoughts that God brings back to our minds, what he's done in our lives. Amen. We forget. Yes. We're blessed. I mean, we are blessed. You live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth right now. You're probably living in one of the richest counties in the richest states. I mean, we have got everything. We're choking in our blessings, people. And what do we do? We complain because we're not looking back to see where was God when I was going through this? Where was God when I was experiencing that pain? He was right there and he was blessing. That's what David's talking about. That's God's heart for the Sabbath. He wants you to look back at your life, to see his works in your life, and then to bless him back. Bless him back. All right, let's move to verse 5. Verse 5 through 9 is the next section. And let's see what David has to say about God versus his enemies. He says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. Okay, the key part of this section is verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord? What works? The creation of the world? What does that have to do with the destruction of evildoers? What is David referencing here? Well, Look back at the Exodus 16 story we were just talking about. <clears throat> when God introduced the Sabbath to his people, what was the context of that story? What had they just been through? They were slaves in Egypt 400 years. They had just come out. Pharaoh had had this iron grip on them, right? They didn't have a rest day. They were forced laborers. He loaded the people down with burdens. And when they got too much for him, what did he do? How did he treat them? He took their little kids and he threw them in the river to the crocodiles. That's what Pharaoh was doing. <clears throat> what did Pharaoh have to say about rest for the Hebrews? 
What did he have to say? In Exodus chapter 5, 2 through 5, this is what he says. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know the Lord. I'm king. That's what Pharaoh thinks. That's where his heart is. You make the people rest from their burdens. And what does he do? He goes and he makes their burdens even harder. Because if you remember the story, he takes away the straw that they were getting, and he makes them go and find their own straw for those bricks. So what does God do about it? How does he respond to Pharaoh's just blatant pride? He invades Egypt. He brings it full-on war. He comes in there, plague after plague, and he reduces that place to ashes. Every single thing the Egyptians were trusting in, he brings down to nothing. And then, in the cover of darkness, he breaks in there. He destroys all their firstborn kids to get his people out. He removes them from their burdens. And just a gospel note here. Interesting to look at this story and say, you know what? The only thing that set those people free was the death of the firstborn son of the king. Think about that. That's a picture of the gospel. That's what finally set them free was when the king's son lost his life. So they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh shakes off his beating enough to realize he's lost it all. And just like any good villain, does he just like kind of go off into nowhere? No. He is going to see this thing to the end. They're going to die or he's going to die. So he gets his army. He charges the Red Sea. He surrounds Israel. And then in one final blow, a death blow, God causes the sea to just crash in on the Egyptians. All of them drown. All his people are standing there on the side of the, the, side of the sea, and they don't have a scratch on them. They've just seen all this destruction. And in Exodus chapter 15, what do they do? Just like David, they burst out in song. They sing this song, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a warrior. So is David right when he's praised, when he says, uh, when he's talking about God in verse 5 through 9? Yeah, he's right. God is awesome. But there's people that are idiots when they deal with God. And that's what he's saying. They just don't get it. They think they have the power. They think they're doing okay. They might rise up for a little bit, but only so God can make his name even more famous when he cuts them down. And that's exactly what he did. So what does this have to do with Sabbath? What does this have to do with resting? Well, remember that Pharaoh wanted to burden the people down. He said, I don't know the Lord. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? David says, the stupid man cannot know. He cannot understand. But God says, no, I'm going to release my people from their burdens. And not only am I going to release them from their burdens, I'm going to give them one day a week so they remember that I released them from their burdens. What I did for them to celebrate that freedom, not just celebrating the creation of the world, but also celebrating the new freedom that I have given them, that they have no more burdens. 
how I broke in under cover of darkness and I delivered the crushing blow. Everything chained. Everything that was chaining my people down was gone now. I took them in a desert and I fed them with bread from heaven. I gave them water to drink from the rock. That's what David is talking about when he says, How great are your works, O Lord. All the evildoers were scattered and you are God on high forever. So, application. What does this mean for us? What can we get out of this? Well, I want you to see in this story, there's two hearts, two kinds of hearts for the Sabbath. There's the heart like God's heart that wants to take everybody away from their burdens. He wants to give them rest. He wants to feed them with manna, bread from heaven. But then there's the other kind of heart, the Pharaoh heart. That's the heart that wants to burden the people down. It's a hardened heart. It's the one that thinks it's in charge. My question is to you, which heart is yours look like? Are you that parent who pulls their kids away from Netflix and the video games on Saturday night because you want them to be at church on time? You want them to be worshiping God with freedom without being burdened down with sleep? Are you that parent who makes sure that nothing gets scheduled on Sunday so that your family can worship regularly in church family? Are you the one who reminds them that Sunday is the day that we call holy, the day that we gather, the day that we get the blessing from heaven, the bread from heaven? That's what God has for us. That's the joy we have in Christ. Or are you like Pharaoh? Have you got the hardened heart? Are you that parent that lets the coach get away with scheduling a practice on Sunday? Are you that parent who says nothing while a manager schedules your people for work on Sundays? Are you that parent who prevents your kids from coming to church, from seeing God's works, and from busting out in song because you didn't get the yard finished on Saturday? And you're taking a day off church because you want to finish. Or even worse, are you the boss that's scheduling people on Sundays? Um, Are you that workaholic who thinks that with your small hands, you're going to do in seven days more than God could make you do in six days with his blessing? I realize I'm stepping on some toes here, but I'm okay with that because I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you. I violate this more than you do, I promise. Um, It's a good thing. It's a good thing if we stop and look because I care, because I want to remind you, um, we don't always have God's way when we set our calendar. We're thinking our own way. We know a better way. That's what we think. And that's that sin I was talking about earlier. If we think about sin and we see it, then we can finally shed some light on it and then we can do something about it. You can be like Pharaoh. You can harden your heart. You can do your own thing. But you'll miss something. You can be like David. You can turn your heart to God and you can sing for joy. You get to choose. And what's going to happen to you if you harden your heart towards God? Or worse, what's going to happen if your hardened heart gets in the way of someone under you worshiping God? Do you remember the story of the money changers in the temple? What were they doing? They had all their stuff, and they had crowded in, getting closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, and they had blocked out 
the court of the Gentiles. The people that were coming there to get close to God, they were in the way. What does Jesus do? Does he come in there and have a little one-on-one discussion, kind of bring them back to reason? No. He makes a whip of cords, a premeditated act of aggression, and he, he just comes in there with a storm, and he clears that place out. Right? He upends all their nice little setup, and what does he say to them? <clears throat> he says, My Father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. I'm not going to stand by and let you get in the way of people coming close to God. That's how Jesus fixes things when we harden our hearts. So if you've hardened your heart to God's holiness, I'm just telling you you're inviting a storm on yourself. But remember, I said that we're not bound to the Sabbath day. We're free in Christ. We're under a new covenant. We get to choose whether we want to worship on Sunday, Saturday, or never. But it's the heart. It's the heart behind your decision that matters. So I'm admonishing you. Examine what you're setting on your Sunday calendar and think about, why am I doing this? Is this honoring God or is this honoring myself? If God wants me to be part of his church family and he wants me to lead, why would I let anything get in the way of this? What's more important that I could put in front of God's plan? So, uh, what about people who have to work on Sundays? What if you're a first responder? Those who take care of little children? uh, You take care of old people, elderly, firefighters, EMT, law enforcement, nurses? What if you're like an emergency surgeon? You have to work on Sunday. And what about preachers? I mean, I'm here teaching. This is work. Right? Uh, What about people who deliver the gospel to others on Sundays? If that's you, I'm with you. I agree with you. You're blameless in God's sight. You know why? Because your heart's right. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And how those who were with him, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and they're guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. He's saying, you know what? If the work you're doing, if you're doing it because it's necessary to preserve life, you're good. That's exactly what David did when he went in the temple because he knew the bread was in there and he was trying to get fed because he was hungry. He was preserving his life for him and his men. Right? If you're serving in a church and you're covering people with God's love and life-saving news about God's Son, you're good. You don't have to be worried because your heart is in line with God's heart for mercy. <clears throat> but that doesn't exclude you from gathering with church family. If you work every Sunday, find another church family that meets on Saturday or some other day of the week. Join the family. Be part of God's family. Okay, let's go on. Doing all right on time. I'm going to wrap this thing up. 
All right, we're on verse 10. Okay, verse 10. I want to see what David has to say about those who are honoring. Like, what, what about these people that are doing it right? What does God have for them? Okay, verse 10. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Okay, exalted my horn like a wild ox. Some versions say unicorn. It's not exactly clear which animal David is talking about, but that's not important. The point is, it's the horn. The horn represents the strength of the animal. He's basically saying, you make me as strong as a charging ox. You give me the strength to charge over my enemies with the power of your divine aid. People who rest in God clearly renew their strength. That's Isaiah 40, 31. They mount up with wings like eagles. They soar above this place. What else does he say? You've poured over me fresh oil. You anoint me. You prepare me for a place of honor. Strengthening is accompanied with fresh covering and with honor. Just like the guests were anointed at feasts with this perfumed oil, so shall the saints. They should be cheered and delighted by fresh outpourings of divine grace. That's why they're not like the grass that fades away. They're not like the wicked. They have this anointing from the Lord. Another thing we see in here is this idea of restoration. A weekly rest day is part of God's natural order. If you're not being restored, then guess what? You're going to be making yourself uh, totally vulnerable to these little temptations, these enemies, things that come in, right? You want to run to relief because you have not been restored. Just a little of this, just a little of that, just a little guilty pleasure, and you'll feel better. That's what the enemy whispers. We let ourselves get run ragged, and then we quickly fall to these temptations because we just want to get relief. But that's not God's way. He has something better for you. He has restoration. He has the bread from heaven, the double portion That's not his way. That's not his heart for you. He wants to make you as strong as a charging ox over your temptation. If you would just make the time to be restored in him, that's all he's asking. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn your foot from the Sabbath, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, not seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's that idea, the link with food again. I told you, they're together. He says he's going to feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. If you're honoring God and you've got this gospel picture in your life of six days of work and then one day of restoration, You're not going to lack anything. He's going to honor that. In short, he's going to make you more productive in six days than you could be on your own without him in seven days. And then also note in verses 5 through 10 that it's not so much as looking back like verses 1 through 4, but it's looking at the present. It's like the here and now. And notice this is where he's talking about the enemy because the enemy doesn't have a future in God's plan. They're going to be made to nothing. But now he's starting to turn a corner and he's going to look forward in time. He's going to look at the future. So he's already looked at the past. Now he's looking at the present. 
and now he's about to go forward in time. So what's God's heart for the Sabbath? It's the release of your burdens in the here and now. The destruction of the things that are pinning you down, that are holding you back, that are getting in the way from you worshiping him. To teach you the lesson of faith that he can make you more productive in six days than you can be in seven. His heart is to displace your idols, the things that you're putting in the way, in his place, by the way. First place is his place. But I'm with you. So many things go in that spot. So many things go on the throne of our heart that are not Christ. He wants to make himself first place in your life again. His heart is to restore you so that you don't have to fall to the stupid temptations. You don't have to be stuck running to relief. You can stand in him. You can stand in his strength against every temptation. Okay, verse 12. This is the final section. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, for they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Three things here that I really want you to focus on. How they grow, where they grow, and who they grow for. First one, how they grow. Note the contrast. The wicked sprouted like grass. Grass comes up overnight. It can, it can show up in your garden like, just like that. But does it stay long? No. The, the righteous are like the palm tree. And the palm tree takes forever to grow. We have one in our back porch, and I keep watering that thing, and it never changes. I'm like, come on, just grow some. It's like this tall. Uh, The righteous are like that. It takes them a long time to get big. But when they get big, when a palm tree grows, right, when it's full grown, it's awesome. Think about how beautiful a palm tree is that's just towering over you. I mean, it's a strong tree. It's beautiful. And when you are in the shade of a palm tree, can you really do any work? I mean, it automatically helps you relax. You can just kind of let go and be like, man, I'm on vacation. Look at this palm tree. That is what a palm tree is about. Um... Number two, where they grow. Notice that they're planted in the house of the Lord. The wicked don't get that. Only the righteous get transplanted into a new place, a new kingdom. They flourish in God's court. And the last one, who they grow for. Um, I missed last week because I was at the beach. Uh, But two weeks ago, Kent was here and he was preaching about this. And just like he said, the reason the righteous flourish the reason they are planted on high, the reason he makes his face to shine on them is to declare that the Lord is upright. It's to make his name famous, that he's the rock, that there's no unrighteousness in him. What's God's heart for the Sabbath? It's for your future. Your flourishing and your fruit, it's for his name's sake, that he might be glorified in your growth, your maturity, your relationship with him, Which leads me to my final point. God's heart for the Sabbath is to feed you with the true bread from heaven. That's his son. It's Jesus. The Sabbath is about Jesus. Jesus is the one who left heaven. He's the one who came under cover of darkness, a king disguised as a baby. He's the one who lived the perfect life of obedience so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And in perfect concert with his father, he works on the Sabbath day. He releases his people from their burdens, physical burdens, demonic burdens, 
burdens that these religious people had placed on them. He made the lame walk. He made the crippled stand up straight, and he gave the blind their sight back. He's a living example of God's heart for the Sabbath. It's all about Jesus. And just when the enemy closed in for the final fight, he took the cross for you and for me. He bled out so he could release you from the ultimate burden of sin. And then he rested on the seventh day in a borrowed tomb. It was the holiest Sabbath day that has ever existed in the history of this place. When all hope seemed lost, on the first day of the week, at the first light of day, on Sunday, he took up his life. And he walked out of that tomb with the keys of sin and death on his belt. He changed the very fabric of eternity in that moment. He created a miracle. His miracle was so great that it earned him the title of Lord of the Sabbath. He, his new life, it changed the calendar. Just like that, the old Sabbath day, this shadow of what it could have been, it was completed. The holiness of the resurrection left the old Sabbath law in its dust. The thing that had just been a pointer, a pointer to the, tr- to the real rest, the true rest, the true bread from heaven was replaced with something far greater. And just like those Hebrews on the side of the Red Sea, when they saw the power of God, that's us. We believers here on Sunday, that's why we raise our hands. That's why we lift the name of Jesus high, because we have seen his work in our lives. We have seen him set us free from the things that were pinning us down. He's alive. We are his people. He's our king forever. Amen and amen. Believers, those of us in Christ, the Sabbath day is over with. It's done. We can't go back. But we don't need to because we got something much better. We have the freedom to choose any time, any day, any place. We can work. We can rest. We can worship. But with that freedom comes responsibility to walk humbly with the Lord your God, to honor him with every day of your life. A weekly rest day is a great way to honor God, and it's a great way to see God's heart for you. If you don't have one, you should get one. Um, What should you do on a weekly rest day? Should you just sleep? Think about Psalm 92, what we just read. It's about your past. It's about your present. It's about your future. It's about your identity in Christ. You should follow the leading of the Spirit, and you should make a rest day for your family that is awesome something that you and your family will just look forward to. Oh, yeah, we're about to do this because it's our rest day. Here's a good starting place. What did the disciples, the first disciples, what did they do? They gathered together and they broke bread together. A perfect picture of receiving the true bread from heaven. So, yes, go to church on Sunday. Worship God as a gift. Bless him back for all that he's done. And, yes, it's totally appropriate to host lunch afterwards. It's work but it's in the right heart. It's in line with God's picture of providing bread from heaven. Feast on Christ. Make him first place. It's about Jesus. The rest day is about Jesus. And if you want to really change your mind, you want to get crazy, 
Think about this. What do you call a day when you, or just you and a loved one, like you're planning it ahead of time and you're going to spend the whole day with someone that you love? It's a date. It's a date day. Think about what that could be like, a date day with God. If you haven't done a rest day in a while, I'm challenging you this morning. Take a day off work this week. Get crazy. Take a walk. Turn that TV off. Turn off that Wi-Fi. Unplug. Turn off the cell phone. Take a walk through the woods and just spend some time with God. If it's been a while, man, you got you to catch up. You've missed some rest. What if you can't take a day off this week? Well, start with an hour. Just start with one hour in the morning. Sit with God in complete silence and then ask this question. What do you have for me today? I ask that question a lot. And the answers I get back are very surprising. Every time, it makes me smile. I'm not going to give it away. You try it yourself this week. Um, Quick closing story. I know we're running out of time here. Um, For those of you who know me well, you know that I love to go sailing. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. I just love everything about sailing. I love boats. I love knots. I love ropes. I love the water. I just love this idea of just like flying across the water. Some people don't get it. They don't understand. What what is this sailing thing? You have to try it to understand. It's awesome. And uh, I'm a father of three. I have three older boys. Uh, My youngest is going to be a senior this year. And so naturally, I just want, as a dad, I just want to invite them up into my adventures, right? We do, I just want to have adventures with them. And so I took them out to Texoma for a day of sailing. This was like two summers ago. And uh, so I had all these plans for them. I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to load up some gear on the boat. And I wanted this, it's not a very big boat, by the way. It's like 17 feet. And we already sold it because I wasn't getting enough use out of it. But... Um, I wanted to get them out into the middle of the lake. There's these little islands out there. And I wanted us to kind of make that little trek. We hadn't sailed that far before to land on those islands and to spend a day on the beach. And, um, but I also wanted to teach them about sailing. I wanted to uh, give them experiences that you know, I hadn't had growing up. And so this was the plan. Uh, but when we got out to there, we, we just got out of the marina. We were like in the first part of the lake and something else happened altogether. It was not going my way. Uh, it, first off, it was a really windy day. It was like 10 knots, about 15 mile an hour gusts. And uh, so it's, for this little boat, it's, it's a lot of wind. So it's, it's a little bit overpowering. Uh, there's all this traffic on the lake. It's a busy day. And so I'm just looking at all this and I'm looking at my family in this boat and I'm thinking, man, this is gonna be a nightmare to navigate through all this traffic right here at the marina uh, just to get out to where we wanna be. Um, so I'm steering in the least dangerous path. I'm at the helm, and I'm managing all this wake that's trying to come in and capsize us from all these other boats that are huge going by us. And uh, none of them are paying attention to the rules, by the way. Sailboat's supposed to have the right of way, but everybody's being a jerk. So uh, I'm, like, I'm like any good captain. I'm just barking out these orders, right? And I'm looking around, and I'm barking out the orders, but nothing's happening that I'm saying. Like, it's just not like there's no connection. <laughs> Nobody's listening. And so I take my eyes off the, uh, the traffic for a second just to look in the boat, just to take a look at my crew. And what I see, I can only describe it as mutiny. <laughs> I mean, it is insane. <laughs> my oldest son, he's the, if you know him, uh, he's the speed demon. And somehow he's on the main sheet, which is the accelerator for the boat. 
He's making it go as fast as possible. He wants us to be bent over sideways with one rail in the water. He's not happy unless he's just getting like that adrenaline fixed. And so that's what he's doing. He's got his own agenda. And the boat's like turning sideways. He can't even hear his mom screaming at him from the back to stop, right? You're gonna spill us over. All our stuff's falling out of the boat. He's totally oblivious. Uh, my middle son, he's supposed to be managing the front sheet, the jib sheet, and uh, he, <laughs> He's not even holding the rope. The sail's going wild, and he's like trying to hook up this Bluetooth speaker because he wants to get this music going on. He just wants to, he just wants to have this loud music because he thinks it'll be cool when we're sailing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is train wreck. The youngest son, this is my favorite one, he's, he's on the, the low side of the boat. He's supposed to be just kind of managing the weight ratios because if you get everybody on one side, it can just flip over. And so he's on the other side, and he's trying to, where he's supposed to be managing the weight ratio and he's supposed to be holding on to the other jib sheet so that he can help the sail when it comes, when we go back and forth. And, but he's not, he's head and shoulders into the snack bag. And he's trying to find his beef jerky that he planted in there so that he could eat, right? We're not even a hundred yards away from the marina yet. And he, that's all he's concerned about. And so I'm just like, oh, I'm like, what is happening here? What is, this is out of control. And I can't sail the boat by myself. I can only do one job at a time. And so, and then I look at my wife, my poor wife, she has lost her mind because she doesn't go sailing with us very often because she's still a little bit freaked out by all this. And, uh, and so she's just, she's the only one, by the way, who has a life preserver on. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I can see this is not going well. And I'm just thinking, how, how am I going to fix this? Uh, so I try for a few minutes. I try to just raise my voice a little bit, just give the orders again so we can get this thing back on track. But no matter how much I try, they will not look at me they will not hear what I have to say. They're doing their own thing. They have their own agenda. So I just make the choice. I'm not gonna be that dad, you know, that just flares up in anger and just ruins the whole day because it's not my way. So I just, I just relent. I turn us up wind out of the, out of the wind. We, we lose all power so that the boat's not falling over. We're not dying. I just turn the motor on and we just kind of head back. And uh, you know, all the plans that I had for them just kind of, real quickly were released because I just knew it wasn't going to happen. We're not going to make it to those islands today. And uh, my wife, she's so gracious, she sees a little cove close to the marina. And so we just pull in there. We just pull that sailboat up on the beach. And uh, we make a day out of the beach right there. We just get the chairs out. You know, the boys jump off the rocks and they just go swimming. But the point is, they had their own agenda None of them were willing to listen to their father. Their father's heart had something better for them. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't look. They wouldn't see. They missed something. They missed an opportunity, and they settled for swimming. They could have done swimming any day of the summer. That day, the father's heart had something better for them. So you guys, you and God, what are the plans he has for you? How many of those plans are you missing every week because you have your own agenda? You won't just look to the truth. You won't look to Christ. You won't see what he's got for you. How much of your growth and your relationship is struggling and suffering because you just won't look. He wants to feed you with Jesus, the bread from heaven, the double portion. That's what it's the whole reason. It's the whole reason that he rested on the seventh day, not because he was beat because he knew Jesus was coming and he was coming for you. That's what he's trying to do. But what about you if you're on the fence? What if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? 
you might be here this morning and you hear me up here rambling about this king like I know him personally, but you don't know him and you're just not sure that you want him to be Lord over your life. Well, that's okay. You're in the right place this morning. You've just heard the good news about Jesus and the fact that you're hearing or listening online, that's no mistake. God has just spoken through his word to call you to himself. Don't take that lightly. I'm urging you to respond today. Don't let another day go by without getting the bread from heaven. When I pray in a minute, you pray on your own. And you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you personally. You, to come and to release you from your burdens. To come and to show you your true identity. Why you were created. Why and what your place is in this story. Keep asking until he does. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And before I pray... Because I know as soon as I get done, y'all are just going to jump up and run out of here. I just told you to rest, but now I'm going to tell you to work. Because we got to tear this place down. So if you're, if you're like new to the parks and you haven't been here that many weeks, you're free to go. You, if you haven't been here, like, say, three weeks, just get out of here when I finish. But if you've been here for more than three weeks, we need your help to tear all this down. we got to make it into a gym this week, all right? So, <clears throat> all right, um, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just thank you so much for your truth. I thank you for this rest day that you created in the natural order. How much more desperate would we be without this day? Father, I just ask for conviction. Would you let your spirit just fall on this place and fall on our hearts to just seal up what we just heard, Lord, even though we're not bound to some Sabbath rule. Your heart, your heart for us to spend time with you to get fed with Jesus, would you just let that be unrestful in us until we make a decision to let it happen, to just let Jesus in, to spend time with him, to let our relationship grow, to learn who we are in Christ, to just have that identity. Jesus, you are upright. You are the rock. There is no unrighteousness in you, just like David said. Lord, would you just give us a heart for that? Please, we're begging you. We need the bread from heaven. We need your life in us, especially when we see all this destruction around, when we have no hope, when we're at the end of our rope. We need you, and we need your future. We need to be settled and secure in you, and we need to be reminded every week that we are in you, that you came to give us life, and you came to give it to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.